Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 as we continue in our study on the address of our Lord Jesus to the church at Philadelphia this year in our New Year's Perspective study. I'm going to read just verses 7 and 8 of Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have little faith, little power, and have kept My Word and have not denied My name. Here's what our Lord says to this church. I'm going to open the door even though you have little power. And some have said that that meant faith. I'm not so sure that that's the case, but... Because you have little power, yet I'm going to open a door for you. And we have seen in history, in the history of the church, that God has done that. There is an island by the name of Tana in the South Pacific Ocean. It is part of the chain of islands known as the New Hebrides. There are approximately 30 islands in the New Hebrides chain of islands. You may have heard of them because several battles in World War II occurred in that region. But Tana is off the east, to the east of the continent of Australia and to the north of New Zealand. Tana is a beautiful island, a tropical island with the Pacific on the east and the Coral Sea on its west coast. It's said to have been settled in 400 B.C. Isn't that amazing? They know when the island of Tana was settled in 400 B.C., but they don't know that Jesus was real and He was 400 years after that. But they know Tana was settled in 400 B.C., but we don't even know if this Jesus actually existed. Nonsense! You see how they discriminate on what they choose to believe and what they choose to deny. The Scriptures are real. Our Savior is real. If we can know history like this, certainly history tells us far more than this, that Jesus existed and lived and did miraculous things, suffered and died on the cross, and was raised on the third day. But I digress. Back to Tana. As beautiful as Tana is, Tana had a dark history. A very seriously dark history. Tana wasn't visited by Europeans until James Cook sailing sailing in the HMS Resolution landed there in 1774. Where the captain and his crew discovered that Tana was steeped in cannibalism. They were a very ruthless, a very wicked, and a very dangerous people. And so Tana gained the reputation at following that throughout Europe as being a very cannibalistic and a very dangerous place. You kids... Let your mom and dad tell you what cannibalism is. 
but not, not good, needless to say. Yet, regardless of this serious reputation of being a hazardous island, on November 5th of 1858, John and Mary Patton landed on Tanna. They were Presbyterian missionaries and they came to bring the Word of God to these horrible natives, knowing the reputation, yet believing that God would have them go there. That God would open a door and was opening a door for them to minister and to witness to these dangerous cannibals. Now, they brought some medical supplies of the day, so maybe that's why they weren't eaten right away. But they did bring some medical supplies and some help. They were able to build a home and they were able to even settle for a while in the midst of what they described as painted savages who were superstitious and cruel. But they were able to settle there and they labored at ministry, though without fruit, for years. And in the midst of these things, these extreme harsh conditions, on February 12th of 1859, Mary gave birth to her son, or to a son, whom they named Peter. Nineteen days later, Mary died of tropical fever leaving John and Peter alone. John had to guard over her grave. Can you imagine why? But he had to stand guard over her grave and care for an infant child, lest the natives get her. Regardless, though, 17 days later, Peter joined his mother in the grave, leaving John Patton alone. Now, despite these devastating bereavements, John faithfully continued his missionary work and attempted to translate the New Testament into the language of those living on Tenna. But he often came under attack once they surrounded him and were about to kill him for lunch, when a ship showed up unexpectedly and rescued him, he had to leave the island. The ship rescued him, brought him back to Europe, and he had to leave for a number of years. In Europe, he remarried and then returned to the New Hebrides this time to the island just off the coast of Tana, he returned to an island known as Anawa. It was just, just off the coast. And he was able to, with his new wife, raise a family there on Anawa and still minister to those on Tana. And by the time of his death, he had translated the New Testament into their language and had established missionaries on 25 of the 30 islands of the New Hebrides. God, indeed, had opened a door for this man. And though it cost him his first wife and first son, 
he was blessed by God, cared for by God, and was able to bring God's Word to the New Hebrides Island because God was greater than the cannibals. God is greater than the opposition that they faced. And God blessed His work. And many of those islands are completely Christian today because of the work of John Patton. Now, I read to you from the Scriptures here from Revelation chapter 7, or Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, about how God promises to open doors. We don't face cannibals. I don't think that's part of our problem. But we do face hostilities. We do face hostilities in America. And the hostilities against Christianity are getting worse as we discussed in our Sunday school hour even today. There are more and more things being done against Christians around the world and things even being done against Christians in America. It's not easy to bring the message of Christ even in our own country. But God is greater than any of the opposition. This is what we have been seeing from this text as our Lord addresses Philadelphia here. I mentioned we we looked at the first aspect that it was indeed the Holy One speaking to this church of brotherly love named brotherly love. And he says he is the one who is holy, who is true, who is the key of David. He is the holy Prince of Peace. He is the one who is all truth embodied in Christ. And He is the King of Kings. And He is the one who tells them, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you. And then we went on to see that He gives two reasons, actually, why He was going to help this church in particular. And after we looked a little bit at the fact that He knew their works in verse 8, we then began to address the reasons that God opened doors for them. And the first one we see in verse 8, he says, You have kept my word. You have kept my word. Now, the more that I studied this last week and uh, this week as well, the more that I had studied this, the more that I realized how vital an element of our faith keeping his word is. So I decided that it would be good for us. It was good for my own heart to do the study. And I thought it would be good for us as a church if we look at some of what it means to keep God's Word. We often talk about it. We often speak about it. But what does it really mean? And not only what does it mean, but how vital it is to our Christian faith. How indispensable even, as we'll see today, it is to our Christian faith. And so we turned first to Psalm 119 and saw that the psalmist said that God's Word was in his heart and that kept his way pure. So keeping the Word of God in our hearts, certainly as a, an individual on a personal basis, is one reason that it's so important to keep the Word of God because it keeps our way pure. His Word is a guide A light to our path, the psalmist says in Psalm 119. But what I want to do is to 
continue to look at this, but come over into the New Testament. So I ask you this morning to turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 8, as we see that keeping the Word means following Christ or heeding what He says. So John, chapter 8. Here we're going to see a little bit of the importance of keeping the Word of God. The context, as you know, in John chapter 8 is exciting. Jesus is teaching both Jew and Gentile, but addresses the Jews. And He speaks to them in the middle of the chapter And he says to them in verse 31, Therefore he was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, keep my word. It's a synonym. If you abide in my word, if you keep my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. You keep his word. And that shows that you are truly a disciple of Christ. What is the opposite of that then? You're not a disciple of Christ. And that is what he goes on to say right in this chapter. But look at what he says in verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth of God's Word is what sets you free from sin. The truth of what of God's Word is what sets us free from the bondage of sin as we know who God is, as we know who Christ is, as we know what Christ has done, as we understand these things, as we keep them in our hearts. It keeps us free from sin and disciples of Christ. If you keep My Word or abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. And He goes on to discuss with the the Jews more and more about who He was. But look down to verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps My Word, he shall never see death. Similar language here to what we read in Revelation chapter 3. You have kept My Word. And here Jesus says, if you keep My Word, you shall never see death. Now certainly that didn't mean that they would live forever. Not in this flesh. Not in this body. But He meant eternally. So it is those who keep the Word of God. And we're going to discuss a little bit more about what that means as we go on in the Gospel of John even. Because Jesus spoke often of it. But certainly as we saw from Psalm 119, keeping His Word in your heart, memorizing His Word, and here, following His Word. Following after what He said. Keeping it. Doing it. Not just hearers but doers of the Word of God, whether Jew or Gentile, only those who keep His Word will go to heaven. 
Only those who keep His Word will not see death. Do you understand the importance of the Word of God? And think about what's going on. Think about what's going on in churches. Has the Word of God increased in importance? Or has it decreased in importance? Has sound theology increased in churches? Or has it decreased in churches? Has expositional preaching of the Word of God increased in churches? Or has it decreased in churches? And I suggest to you that in every case, it is decreased. The Word of God is put on the back burner. As more and more preachers might read a verse, they might not even read a verse. But after they do, they stick their Bibles on the side of the pulpit and they go on to talk about whatever. Rather than turning from Scripture to Scripture to teach people the Word of God, because that is what we are to do. That is what differentiates the Christian from the lost man, is to keep His Word. That's what Jesus is talking about. If you keep My Word, then you are disciples of Mine. And the opposite is, if you do not keep My Word, you are lost. Look what He says in verse 42 of chapter 8 of the Gospel of John. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You understand what he's talking about? I'm out here preaching this to you. I'm out here speaking to you, telling you what God the Father says. The Father has sent me. I'm bringing you His Word. This is the prophet of all prophets. The King of all kings. The God of all gods. This is God incarnate bringing the Word of the Father to them. And what do they do? Utterly and completely reject it. And Jesus says, why is it? Can't you hear what I'm saying? He's mocking them. Can't you hear what I'm telling you? I'm telling you the Word of the Father. And why couldn't they keep that Word? Why couldn't they hear that Word? Because, verse 44, you are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. All of this is centering around. All of this is focused on. All of the context here is His Word and the truth and keeping His Word and keeping His truth. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. My disciples keep My Word. You Pharisees, you scribes, you reject Me because you reject the Word of God. And you reject the Word of God because you are of your father the devil who rejects the truth of God. This is the message that Jesus is bringing. Because there is no truth in Him. 
Whenever he speaks, it is a lie. He speaks from his own nature. And he is a liar and the father of lies. Look what he says in verse 45. Because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Wow. Do you keep His truth? Do you want to keep His truth? If you do keep His truth, it is because you are of God. But if you do not keep His truth, you are of the evil one. Jesus is saying to that church in Philadelphia, I'm going to open doors because you keep My Word. And I see today multitudes of people going to churches where the Word is not preached. And the sad reality is that they all think things are great. Multitudes of people are coming to our church. The church is blowing and growing and we're getting bigger and we have more baptisms and a bigger building and a bigger budget. Things are great. Things are wonderful. But are they keeping the Word? Because the evil one can send a bunch of people to a bunch of buildings and they can still call it a church, but it is not. The criteria is, are you keeping my Word? No matter how many people are there, no matter how great it looks, are you keeping my Word? Is there truth? In your church are the people of the church desirous for truth, hungry for truth, sound theology and expositional preaching. Is this what they want? This is what Jesus commended Philadelphia for. Keeping His Word in the midst of people like these same Pharisees. Because remember, that's what they faced there in Philadelphia. Roman emperor worship, pagan worship, and Jews who did not like Christ. And yet, in the midst of that, Philadelphia kept His Word. Jesus commended them for keeping His Word. Look what he says in verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this is the reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. What a sad commentary on the religious leaders of the day. You don't hear the words of God because you're not of God. Are you of God? Are we of God? Hold my feet to the fire. Make sure that what comes forth from this pulpit is the Word of God. Make sure that what we do here is feeding upon, learning of the Word of God. Keeping the Word of God. It is vital. It is the difference between life and death. If you keep My Word, you will not see death, is what Jesus said. Life and death is at stake in keeping the Word of God. 
Now, Jesus mocked them because He said, what's the matter? Don't you hear what I'm saying? The reason they didn't believe what He was saying was because they were not of God. This is what we call in theology the outward call. There is the outward call and there is the inward call. The outward call is when, when I preach, people can hear multitudes. When I preach, people can hear outwardly. I don't think any of you have any problem hearing my voice. I don't need this thing. I seldom have. But you have no problem hearing what I'm saying. And I, we have had a lot of people come through these doors who have heard what I say outwardly. But they have not heard what I say inwardly. They have heard the Word of God outwardly, but they do not hear it inwardly in their hearts. There is the outward call and there is the inward call. If you hear the Word of God, as we saw from Psalm 119, in your heart, that's the inward call. If you love the Word of God, that's the inward call. If you desire to keep the Word of God, that's the inward call. If you come to church and you just hear it and sleep through it and don't care and go your merry way, that's the outward call. But if you love God and you love His Word, it's because that truth has penetrated your heart. As in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the truth, the Spirit took the Word and pierced their hearts. That's the inward call. This is what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. What's the matter? You don't hear what I'm saying? No, the reason you don't get it is because you don't hear it inwardly in your hearts. A heart changed by the God who changes hearts. Do the things of God. Do the Scriptures given by God mean more to you than just words? Are they life and breath to you? That's inward. That's keeping the Word of God. When it's more than life itself, some of us could go days without eating more than we could go without reading the Scriptures. Life and drink and meat to our very beings is what the Word of God ought to be. That's keeping His Word. Furthermore, look at John chapter 14. I'm going to ask that you look down to verse 22 here. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him 
and make our abode with Him. He who does not love Me does not keep My words. And the word which you hear is not Mine, but the Father's who sent Me. Similar language to what we read in John chapter 8. But think about this, what He says. If you love Me, you keep My Word and My Father will love Him and will come to Him and will make our abode with Him. What is the criteria of the Father loving you according to what Jesus is saying? What is the criteria of the Father and the Son taking up their abode in your heart and in your life according to what Jesus is saying? If you love Me, you will keep My Word. So what does that reflect upon the church in Philadelphia when the God who is God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the One who is holy, the One who is true, the One who is King, what is He saying to the church at Philadelphia when He says to them, You have kept My Word. He's saying, You love Me. You love Me. And You've kept My Word. So the Father and I will take up our abode with You. And so in a special way manifested to that church, Christ was in their midst, taking up His abode with them. Now, He said that He was in the midst of all of the churches, but here is a way in which this church was so faithful to God that He's saying, I'm in your midst. I'm in your hearts. The Father and I take up our abode. But if you don't love Me, you don't keep My words. Again, the contrast between those who are truly saved and those who are lost. Do you keep His Word? The importance of keeping God's Word is immeasurable. The importance of keeping God's Word to a church is immeasurable. It is what we are to do as a manifestation of our love to God And as such, He then takes up His abode with us individually and yes, corporately. This is life and death. This is blessing or unblessing. This is an open door or this is a shut door. And I have been saying for years here in this place that God is yet laying a foundation in this church for this church. And that He will one day open a door for this church as we remain faithful to His Word, to His truth. We strive to love God and manifest that love by keeping His Word. I'm not sure if that little brochure in the back still says it. I believe it may. But one of the things that I have always believed and held to in my life and in my pastoral ministry is that the more I teach you about God, the more I show you who God is, the more you will see the glory of God, 
the more you will see the beauty of God, the more you will see the wonder of God, the more you will see all that He has done. Therefore, in response to that, the more you will love Him, the more you will love His Word, the more you will follow Him, and the more you will witness for Him and be a testimony for Him. That's the way it's supposed to work. It doesn't begin by doing stuff. It begins by keeping His Word and loving the God of the Word. And the more you understand those things, the more excited you will be about the God we love, about the God we worship, about the God who has revealed Himself in His Word. So I teach you the Scriptures and together we love God. I teach you the Scriptures and together we grow in grace, in knowledge, and in number. This is, I believe, the scriptural way that God builds a church. Following His Word. Keeping His Word. And yet today, we find that the church at large has invented this thing called the carnal Christian theory. Do you understand what the carnal Christian theory is? They take a verse out of context from 1 Corinthians and they set it up as being an excuse, a justification for people who have so-called or so-called Christians who have made a so-called decision for Christ and who live like the devil, who don't come to church, who do not keep God's Word, who do not follow God's Word, who do not worship God in the way He has prescribed. This is a justification and an excuse for them to live as carnal. They are carnal Christians. Totally taking out of context what Paul speaks to the church in Corinth. But they have established a third category of people in the world. You have the saved, you have the lost, and you have the carnal Christian. But my Bible has no such animal. You're either on the narrow road or you're lost on the broad road. Two roads, not three. You can't be lost and live like a live like the devil and be saved. That's what Jesus is saying. You are saved. You are going to keep His Word. If you are lost, you will not keep His Word. That's it. Two groups. You are in the kingdom of God or you are in the kingdom of the devil. Two groups. There is no such hybrid animal as a carnal Christian. It is wrong. It is heresy. And it has ruined the church. And I tell you this, it is nothing other than a justification or an attempt to justify people who live wicked lives and still call them Christians to shore up and maintain statistics in churches. Because you see, that guy came forward and we counted him as a baptism. We counted him as a notch in our belt. We counted him as one of our members. Even though he never comes to church, even though he lives like the devil, he's okay because he made a decision and he's a carnal Christian and he'll go to heaven. No, he won't. On the basis of God's Word, you keep His Word, you're saved. You do not keep His Word and you are lost. You keep His Word and you will not taste death. 
You do not keep His Word and you will go to hell. You keep His Word and He abides in you and you love Him. You do not keep His Word and you love the devil. Two ways. Which is it? And sadly, as I said, this comes from the modern day church. The carnal Christian. Ernie Reisinger years ago wrote a a booklet regarding the carnal Christian. It's a classic if you can get hold of it, do so. But I will never forget on the original one that Banner of Truth published. It had on the front cover a church, a typical, probably Baptist church with a steeple in the front and the tall walls on the side and just a not a real big building, but a fairly good sized wooden church. And it was engulfed in flames burning. And that's what I see happening to the churches today embracing such heresy as the carnal Christian theory. Obviously, that's what Ernie saw too, since that was what was on the cover of the pamphlet. This is wrong. And what is right is the teaching of the Lord Jesus even here that says, keep my word. Keep my truth. And what is right is what Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia. I'm going to open doors for you because you keep my truth. Because you keep my word. Let's look at another passage just a page or two over. And that begins where we read from John chapter 17. John chapter 17. With what we've already seen in our hearts, let's see what Jesus says here in His high priestly prayer. As He says in verse 6, I manifested Thy name. And now He's, he's speaking to God the Father. I manifested Thy name to the men whom Thou gavest Me out of the world. Thine they were, and Thou gavest them to Me, and they have kept Thy word. This is what Jesus is saying about His disciples. This is what Jesus is saying about it this, by this time, the eleven apostles. Judas is gone. He's out of here. But he's saying about those that God had given him. And, and remember, he knew who Judas, Judas was. He knew who uh, that Judas was, would betray him. He knew that all along. And so he says here, Thou gavest me them out of the world. They, thine they were, and thou gavest them to me. And they have kept thy word. Same language as he says, to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. Same language. They have kept thy word. And Jesus is saying this of his apostles, of his disciples here. And I believe that what he is likely speaking to them is that they continued in his word. Unlike Judas. That they continued in it. They kept it by keeping next to Him. 
by following Him. By not turning back from Him. And I'm going to show you why I believe that to be the case here. I know we've turned to a lot of Scriptures, but let's turn back a little bit to John chapter 6. Don't grow weary of turning to Scriptures. I'm not trying to fool you here. Don't let me fool you. I don't like to just give Scriptures without looking at them and turning to the context and seeing somewhat of of the context. And here in John chapter 6, let's pick up the context of what happens. Now, we we have in the beginning of John chapter 6 that uh, He feeds the multitudes. He walks on the sea. And now you turn towards the verses in verses 30 and following and they have come after Him. They've followed Jesus because they were fed. And we find here many were coming after Him just for food. Look at verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on Him the Father, even God, has set His seal. Which, what is that food that He'll give? This! This is the food He's talking about. But they didn't want this food. Like the scribes and the Pharisees He goes on to address in chapter 8, they were just after the fish. They were just after the bread. They were just after the physical food. They just wanted to be fed. That's what it was. You didn't come after Me because you want the truth. You came after Me because you wanted bread or food. And so, He goes on to teach them difficult things. He goes on to teach them strong things. And then in verse 66, Here's what happens. As a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew. Now, you remember that we mentioned that that word disciple has a dual meaning. First of all, it means just those who follow. Who would be following, trying to hear what Jesus says, following. And the world would have looked at them as disciples. But the other meaning is, yes, they are followers of Christ, But not just outwardly, they love Christ. They're saved. So disciple can be a synonym for a believer. A synonym for one who is born again. And so the disciples that were born again are not the ones he's talking about here. They're just followers who were following after Jesus to get that food. And it says, John giving the commentary, they withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. They left Him. So, Jesus said therefore to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered Him and said, no! Isn't that what He said? Well, actually, it is what He said. No, we're not going to leave you. But what is the reason? What is the reason that Simon Peter gives? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't leave because they kept His Word. They didn't go off and leave Him and stop following Him because they believed what He taught 
and they believed His Word and they kept His Word. That's why the disciples did not leave Jesus. Verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You're the Holy One of God. Now, go back to John 17. This is why I believe, and I agree with several commentators who speak of this passage in John chapter 17 and verse 6 where He says that they have kept Thy Word, that that's what, that's what our Lord was talking about. That they kept with Him. They did not leave Him. He had the words of life. His words were life. They didn't just come to Him for the food. They came to Him and they believed that He was indeed the Son of God. They stayed. They followed Him. They kept following Him. Now you know the reality of Christianity. The reality of Christianity is not that everybody has a life of ease. I mentioned John Payton as we began. He went in among cannibals with nothing except maybe the fear of his life and the fear of God. But God opened the door for him. But even in the midst of that, he lost his wife and he lost his son. There is also an account of John Payton. As I mentioned to you that he guarded his wife's grave. Well, later on, some in that island were saved. One was the chief of the natives. And he was saved. And John Payton later asked him how it was that he was able to single-handedly guard his wife's grave? Or why didn't you get to my wife? And the account goes that the chief said to him, because of all the men you had guarding her grave. And Peyton had no idea what the chief was talking about, but later came to understand. The angels of God guarded his wife's grave from the cannibals. God opens doors, but it isn't always easy. We face hardships. We face difficulties, but we must keep His Word. The disciples kept His Word. And here they are, listening to Him pray. Praying to God and saying, God, they have kept My Word. How important would that be to these disciples a few months from now. After Jesus was dead, buried, raised, and then ascended back to the Father, and they were on their own. With the power of the Holy Spirit helping, they turned the world upside down. They did not turn back. They kept His Word. We 
must keep His Word. It is what we are called on to do. It is the mark of a Christian. And I close by pointing out to you what Jesus goes on to say. Verse 7, Now they have come to know that everything Thou hast given Me is from Thee. What does He mean by that? They have come to know. They heard the truth and they believed the truth. Look what He says in verse 8. For the words which Thou gavest Me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from Thee and they believed that Thou didst send Me. And I ask on their behalf, I do not ask only on their behalf. Remember, He goes on to pray for us as well. But it's the words which He gave that they came to believe. Remember the parable that Jesus spoke about the seed planted on good ground? There it is. Are we good ground? Are we casting good seed into good ground? That's when they hear the Word and believe. And that's why Jesus commends the church in Philadelphia. They believe the words which were given to them. And I pray, it is my prayer, that our church would be filled with believers. Believers of the Word. And keepers of the Word. As we strive against all obstacles for Christ. Believe it or not, there's a lot more to this. We'll pick up here next Lord's Day. But God help us to maintain, to keep His Word and to keep following our Lord. Oh, His words are life. His words are true meat indeed. May we delight to hear them. May we delight to take them into our very souls. Let's pray.